This is KMTT, Kimitzion Tetzei Torah. Every Thursday, during the weeks of Chodesh uh, Elul to Yom Kippur, have a series of sikhot about tshuva, uh, getting ready for Rosh Hashanah, from Harav Moshe Zichtenstein. Last week, we focused upon an individual who occupies a major place within the context of Tfilot and Rosh Hashanah. This week, we will focus also upon an individual, but a different individual. If last week you spoke about a man who had the letters Nun and Chet in his name, this week we will add the Hey to the which differentiates the Ish from the Isha, and jumble the letters, and thus produce Chana, Chet Nun Hei. By doing so, we will now have a protagonist who is not a Benoni man, but rather a Tzadeket and a woman. And we will use her story to focus upon a Pkida, divine recollection, divine remembrance, which brings us to a favorable judgment on Yom Hadin, not because of the mediocrity of man, but rather because of his greatness. A person who is granted life because of her great deeds, not because she was too meek and too mediocre, but rather due to her greatness. Let us now turn to the story of Chana and focus upon the drama that is the center of the Aftarah on the first day of Rosh Hashanah. The story begins with Hanam and her infertility, where the condition in which she is in, married to a man with two wives, one with many children, the other, of course, Hana herself, who has no children whatsoever. If we try to picture to ourselves what's going on in the household, what is going through Hannah's mind, we can of course conjure a very difficult situation. One in which we have two women, one who's a mother, they get up daily, one prepares the children for school, takes care of them, dresses them, organizes sandwiches for them, gets ready to send them off, is busy and occupied with all the hustle and bustle of the morning in a busy household, while the other is forlorn, solitary, alone, with no children, with no one around her. We can see the same picture repeating itself in the Chagim, with Pina having a large family, waiting to be dressed, waiting for a bracha, waiting to go to shul together, and Chana remains, of course, all alone. She sits alone in shul, with no one near her, no one to disturb her, no one to nudge her, all alone, she and her solitary existence. The Medrash already points, points all this out graphically, I'll read a brief Midrash here, the Pasuk emphasizes twice the fact how she angers her, 
וכי עשתה גם כעס, מכעסת וחוזרת ומכעסת. Rubbing it in. Repeating, provoking the anger and the jealousy from Hannah's part. Mahavet Amalek, what did she say to her? Zavnet Librach Rabba Sudar Tov Chaluk. Did you do any shopping with your children today? Did you go buy them clothing for Yom Tov? Did you go buy school supplies? This is what the Medrash puts in Plina's mouth. Amar Bnachem Bar Abba. An additional scene. Hayta Plina Mashkemet Vomeret Lechana. Pnina would rise early to take care of her children and then speak to Chana. Are you not getting up and taking care of your children? Are you not bathing them? Are you not preparing them from school? Are you not making sandwiches? Ubishay Shaot, noontime, when the kids will return from school, Haital Meridla, Pnina would repeat, Chana, do you not stand and anticipate your children coming home from school? Are you not waiting for the next to the school bus? This is the scene the Medrash describes. And of course, if without the provocation, many of us are familiar with the distress and the difficulties of being a mother without children, a woman, excuse me, a woman without children, a woman with fertility, with, in, with fertility problems, living in a society such as ours, surrounded by happy families, surrounded by large families, surrounded by children, and of course, the lonely individual in shul, when all of us sitting around him, preoccupied with their children, is a familiar and difficult scene that is not strange to us. This is Hannah's situation. Worse, she does not receive support from her husband. The only person who could have understood her, who could have been aware of her needs, does not provide necessary support. What does Elkanah say to her? Chana, why are you upset? Why are you so sorrowful? Why do you have no appetite? Why are you so upset? I am better for you than ten children. And there's no doubt Elkanah was a loving husband. There's no doubt he deeply cared about Hannah. There's no doubt they sincerely wanted to help her. However, it is also clear and evident that he did not begin to understand what's going through her mind and her soul. That he could not empathize because he did not understand her plight. The thought that relationship of husband and wife can replace and serve as a substitute for the relationship of mother-child is a thought which is simply wrong, erroneous, misplaced, insensitive. The parent-child relationship is different from that of the husband and wife. One is based upon giving, providing, but giving shelter, support, protection, granting love. It is one in which you give from above, 
you view in the child your continuation, an extension of yourself, both physically, metaphysically. The child is the extension of the parent. The parent provides for him. It is a relationship of which one is a provider, the other is a receiver. Giving and receiving. Granting and accepting. Of course, companionship, relationship of a husband and a wife, is predicated upon equality, upon experiencing together, not about providing guidance, but struggling together, navigating the waters of life together, hand in hand, not holding the hand of the child as the protective parent. Elkanah was oblivious to all this. He could not realize or experience the difference between the parent-child relationship or the fa- or the husband-wife relationship, and therefore, of course, he can understand Hannah's problem. No more, no less. He says to her, "My love, my good feelings, are just as good as that of ten children." Needless to say. This is patently false from an emotional perspective and reveals how much Elkanah could not provide support for Hannah in her distress. This reminds us, if you go back to the Chumash, of Yaakov and Rachel. Rachel who expresses so forcefully and powerfully what it means to be a mother. Havali vanim, give me children, vimayin, and if not, meita nochi. I'm dead. I'm living dead. The childless lacks existence. This is what Rachel says. Grant me children, and if not, as if I am dead already now. And of course, Rachel too, just like Hannah, is living in a household with many children, with a second wife, who has a large family, and as Rachel views what's going on around her, and her own lonely existence, she says, Yaakov too, apparently, does understand her. The Pasuk tells us, that Yaakov, rather than trying to comfort her, what does Yaakov say to her? Is it my fault? My God? He is not, he cannot sympathize. He sees her claim as being far-fetched, if not outrageous. He cannot really plumb the depths of her distress and therefore argues rationally. Can I provide you children? Why speak to me? He cannot somehow feel the scream of distress which Rachel is trying to emit. In Chazal and the Medrash, quite forcefully, came and pointed a finger of blame at Yaakov. Amara Kadosh Baruch according to the Medrash. No more unless the Kadosh Baruch himself appears in the scene and rebukes Yaakov. Kach Unimetameikot? Is that how you speak to someone in distress? Is that how you treat a person with such deep distress? The tables will eventually be turned. That's the Medrash there. And it's fair to say 
that it seems that Elkanah as well as Yaakov cannot really follow and perceive what's going on in his wife's emotions. To this we must add, we must add another point. Not only can Elkanah not understand her plight because he has children, because he has a household full of Pnina's children, because he does have a large family. But there's also another point, which is at work here. This is a point which the Rav pointed out in Family Redeemed, both the point at large and also specifically its application to Hanal Kana. The point is that when all said and done, there is a difference of perspective between male and female regarding the need for parenthood. At the end of the day, being a parent is more crucial for a mother, it's more crucial for the woman, than for the man. As the Rav points out over there, the woman in Tanakh is named Chava Kihiyataim Kol Chai. The basic defining characteristic of the female is motherhood. The ability to grant sustenance, to grant love and protection, is what defines her very essence. It is what she is most associated with, and why therefore she is named Chava. Because she grants life, she is Aim Kol Chai. The Ima, the Aim, that is what she's all about. While Adam is identified with the earth, with the world, conquering the world, be able to cultivate the soil, to capture the world, to create. He, of course, is also a father. But it is not as deeply ingrained in his nature as it is with Chava. Actually, nature itself sends us this message. In the human body itself, unlike the father, who cannot provide sustenance from within to his child, the mother is granted the physical ability to provide nourishment to the child. A mother can feed a child out of her own body at the initial stages of life. Something, of course, which is beyond the man, and it expresses at the most physical and most basic level the difference of perspective. The fact that mother and protection and sustenance is what it's all about. Chazal, in a wonderful medrash in the Grand Brachos, pointed this out regarding Chana. The Pasuk tells us, Which of course means, Chana is speaking from her heart. However, the medrash, this fine ear for any, any slight change of tone, or of choice of vocabulary, the Medish focuses upon al-liba. The word al can mean, of course, on, but also the connotation of above. Amar b'elazar mishob yesu ben zimra. G'mon brachos dafamad alif. Al-iskei-liba. She's talking about what's in her heart. But what does she say? Amrale fanav b'ibono shalam. Chana spoke to Kodesh Baruch and said, Ribbono Shalom, Komashabarata ba'isha lo barata davarchado batala, all that you create in the woman, 
Everything is with a design, always for a purpose. A nine lirot, eyes for vision. Oznayim lishmoa, ears to hear. Chotem lariach, a nose for, for smell. Pele daber, a mouth to speak. Yadayim lasot, and so on and so forth. Dadim lanigbahem, breasts for, with which to nurse children. Dadim halalu, these breasts, shenatata alibi, these breasts which you placed above my heart. Lama, lula nigbahem. What Hanan is saying is, aliba, the medish says, that which is above the heart, meaning the breasts, which are an essential part of her womanhood, of her motherhood, an essential part of creation. Whatever was created, was created with a purpose, including the dadim, including the breasts, with which to provide to a child. And if not, if my breasts serve no purpose, so my creation is lacking. Something has been created in vain. Nature is not being true to itself. And what's true to nature being true to itself here is experiencing motherhood, the ability to provide and to grant warmth, sustenance, love to a child. And of course, the Medish wonderfully plays here with the interchangeability of the heart and the breasts, the lev and the dadim, because the milk that's flowing forth from the, from the dadim, from the breasts, is an expression of the loving heart. And therefore, Chana, as a woman, experiences all this. Elkanah, as a man, has never experienced what's to breastfeed. Elkanah has the male experience in which his understanding of parenthood is different. His perspective is not that of Chana. And therefore, he cannot really, at the end of the day, sympathize with her plight. The same story repeats itself with Eli. Eli too cannot really understand Chana. While he's not her husband, he doesn't know her from before, he hasn't lived with her day in and day out, he is though the Kohen Gadol, he's the person in the Mikdash who daily observes people who come with all the distresses, each one is Pekele, each one coming to pour forward a heart, and when the childless woman comes, he cannot summon forth the empathy because he too does not really understand her condition. Thus, Chanah is all alone, lonely not without children, but lonely without, an, without a surroundings that can really understand her, without the necessary sympathy and empathy from those who should be providing it, be it her relations, meaning her husband, or the spiritual mentors, meaning the Kohen Gadol. All this describes the sense of Havali Vanim Vimayin Meta Nochi. Grant me children, because if not, I, my existence is sorely lacking. All this is her plight. Now the let's look and how the Kadosh Baruch Hu is pokayed her. How she's recollected, remembered, and provided with the Gzardin of Chaim Tovim, 
with a verdict of life, of happiness, how everything changes, how fortunes are turned about at the end of the Aftarah. In order for us to understand this, let's quote briefly Gemara Masechet Rosh Hashanah. The Gemara says as follows, on Rosh Hashanah, three biblical akarot, three biblical women without children, were granted children. Rosh Hashanah, Nifkeda Sarah, Rachel Bechana. Sarah Imeinu, Rachel Imeinu, and Chana were all granted motherhood on Rosh Hashanah. What is the common denominator between all three? What ties together Sarah, Rachel, and Chana aside from the fact that the childless woman in Tanakh? If we look at the episodes of each, there's one common thread which runs throughout the episodes, which is self-sacrifice. In a word, the solution to their problem was practice of self-sacrifice. I should add self-sacrifice in an extraordinarily impressive, one could say mind-boggling manner. Let's look at Sarah briefly and then go on to Hannah. Sarah is Avram's faithful companion. She knows him from day one. The Pesukim Lecha described how they wander together, how they leave Haran, Ukazdi, Mesopotamia, how they wandered, where Avram says, as I begin to wander back and forth over the Near East, until I arrived in Eretz Yisrael, and Eretz Yisrael, back and forth, back and forth, from one place to the other, to Egypt and back. We went through all these travels and travails together. Sarah's the faithful companion. They were weaving a joint dream. Everything doing together. Promised by the Kadosh Baruch Hu to have a family, to create a nation. And all of this, nevertheless, none of this has been realized. As time progresses, as Avram ages, as Sarah ages, as the biological clock keeps on ticking and ticking and ticking, both Avram and Sarah feel frustrated, feel that the destiny is unfulfilled, their goal, their purpose in life, their mission to create a nation, is hit a brick wall. They don't, they don't know what to do. And all of a sudden, Sarah comes up with a plan. And the plan is to sacrifice her participation, to exclude herself from the fulfillment of the dream, so long as Avram can do it. And she comes to Avram, and she says to him, at the beginning of Bereshit's Parakel Zayin, the first story of Hagar, Vatomer Sarai of Avram. So I comes to Avram and says to him, He nay not Sarai Neshemi ledet, because Brochus prevented me. She takes the blame upon herself. She focuses the problem in her fertility. Go to my maid, and hopefully will be able to have children through her. Let me add a point. As Ramban points out, up to this point in time, if one looks carefully at the Chumash and looks at the, analyzes the Pesukim closely, he will notice that up to this point in time, 
only Avram is a guaranteed a child. Every divine promise has been to Avram and it's not mentioned Sarah. And we can be sure that Avram and Sarah, as the years went on, and they thought and thought and thought about how the promise is going unfulfilled, must have also realized this point. And therefore Sarah is willing to sacrifice and to forfeit her share in the dream of building a nation because she sees Avraham's goal, Avraham's benefit as being above hers. Avraham, and this is not the topic of our talk today, Avraham initially refuses and he agrees only when Sarah insists. Then it's Sarah insists and upon her insisting, Avraham agrees to take Hagar and of course, she immediately becomes pregnant, which would seem to prove the point that Sarah is not part of the equation, that it's Avram's destiny to marry someone else, be it Hagar, be it another woman, and to procreate through them. However, immediately afterwards, as soon as this is over, the Psukim tell us, who comes and declares that Avram and Sarah will have children. In other words, the act of self-sacrifice is what gave Sarah the ability, the zchus, the privilege, the moral right to have children. Kadesh Baruch Hu rewarded her because she withdrew, because she practiced self-sacrifice, and because of that sacrifice, he gave her whatever she wanted. In the Rav's terms, by withdrawing and retreating, she was able to achieve what she wanted. The same is true about Rachel also, who Chazal famously claimed that she assisted Leah in marrying Yaakov, that she actually helped her rival, and she sacrificed her marriage, she sacrificed a good deal of her happiness, we all know what the rest of the story is, in order to help someone in distress. Through self-sacrifice, Rachel was able to achieve what Sarah achieved. Once more, Chazal, another medrash which I will not quote, attribute Rachel's being given children to the fact that she took Leah into her house, she took a rival in, and was willing to help a person at her own expense. Let us now go to Chana. Her self-sacrifice is amazing. It's hard to even fathom. She has a dream for years. She suffers for years in a state of fertility surrounded by children, by laughter, in a household with a large family, with Pnina constantly needling her and pointing out day in, day out what she's lacking, with a husband who can't understand her need for all her dreams are focused upon the child. The child, the child, the child. That's all she thinks about day and night. She goes to bed with a dream, she wakes up with a dream, and of course we should add, she goes to bed with a nightmare and wakes up with a nightmare. Because she knows the dream is never fulfilled, and as time progresses and the clock keeps ticking on, she sees the dream receding further and further into a distance. She cannot imagine how she will ever have Banim. All she sees her existence is Elkanah's wife, 
but not the mother of a proud family. Yet, when she goes to the Mikdash, she says, of course, sincerely, not as a trick, she says to the Kaddish Baruch Hu, her last chance, her last try, if you give me a child, I will dedicate him to you. I will hand him over. He will not be mine, he will be yours. To put it in modern terms, if you met a couple going through excruciating fertility treatments after years of suffering and distress, saying it to Filah before, before the last treatment, if this final treatment is successful, we will hand the child over. We almost can't imagine such an outcome. After all, all they've gotten was for this. As the Medrash pointed out before, Chana's whole point is that the natural order of things, the divine design for the universe is to be a mother. Why should she hand him over? Because Rachel will that we should be parents to our children. That children should not be in convents, should not be taken off to monasteries, they should be in Jewish homes with mothers and, and fathers. She should not give him over to the Mekdash. But nevertheless, Chana says, I will hand him over to the Kaddish Baruch Hu. Interestingly, the originally she says, I will give him as a present, as a gift to the Kaddish Baruch Hu. Later on, she speaks about Shaul, She'elah, meaning I will lend him. Interesting difference, but anyway, she is willing to hand over her most precious possession, what she, her most cherished uh, existence almost. Everything, all her hopes, her dreams, have been all focused upon this one child, and she's willing to hand him over. It's the mysterious nefesh, which is hard to imagine. All those scenes that Pnina used to needle her with, awaiting a child coming home from school, anticipating the school bus, preparing a child for school, shopping with a child, buying your first pair of shoes, buying your bar mitzvah outfit. All of this she forfeits. She hands it over to the Kodesh Baruch Hu. It is self-sacrifice, or in the other phrase, mysterious nefesh, to a degree which is hard to understand, impossible almost to live up to. And nevertheless, this is what she did. In the words, and of course, having done this, she too, like Sarah and Rachel, is remembered by the Kaddish Baruch Hu, and granted her wish above and beyond. To quote the Medrash, when Hanash saw that she could not give birth, I'll be like Rachel. I will let my rival in the house. You deposited by me meaning Shmuel. You are willing to hand over your child to deposit him by the Kodesh Baruch in the Mikdash. I will repay the debt. And then it quotes, 
She then subsequently has three more sons, two daughters. She's rounded out with a large family. Having been willing to hand over Shmuel and to sacrifice him, to give him to Gavot, to the Kaddish Baruch Hu, she's now rewarded with a much larger family. The secret of Pkida, of Hashem Bakadat Sarah, the Pkida of Chana and Rachel and Sarah, Remember, Kadosh Baruch Hu is forfeiting the the own ego, forfeiting my own needs, being willing to hand them over to Kadosh Baruch Hu, the self sacrifice to others to Kadosh Baruch Hu. Chana is no longer praying for herself; she's not praying for Kadosh Baruch Hu. She's being granted and provided for because her child will now be part of the Mikdash. By self-sacrifice and by the forfeiture, she's able to get herself, her own subsequent family, tribe, her possession of children, of life, of love, of happiness. And unlike Noah, who barely made it through, Chana is delivered miraculously in Rosh Hashanah from her condition because of the virtue of self-sacrifice. Because Baruch Hu should grant all of us a ktiva v'chatima tova. We should also know also to prioritize and be able to forfeit our needs for those of others.